You're listening to Conversations in Atlantic Theory, a podcast dedicated to books and ideas generated from and about the Atlantic world. In collaboration with the Journal of French and Francophone Philosophy, these conversations explore the cultural, political, and philosophical traditions of the Atlantic world, ranging from European critical theory to the Black Atlantic to sites of indigenous resistance and self-articulation, as well as the complex geography of thinking between traditions, inside traditions, and from positions of insurgency, critique, and counter-narrative. Today's discussion is with Urban Hunt, who teaches in the Department of English at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, located in Urbana, Illinois. He writes on African-American literature and political history, with special emphasis on art, world-making, and their temporalities in the context of a racially fraught society. Our conversation is about his new book, Dreaming the Present, Time, Aesthetics, and the Black Cooperative Movement, forthcoming in early April 2022, with University of North Carolina Press. Urban, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I'm really excited to talk about your book. Um, I have to say, I think it's it's an incredibly important project. Um, very uh, unique cluster of thinkers extremely uh, analytical and rigorous while also having, I think, a really engaging tone. And so I just wanted to say that about the book. I think it has a variety of writerly voices on your part um, that make it a really pleasant and, and, and uh, great read. But it has all of the rigor of, of a theoretical treatment and sensitivity to the culture and politics of the figures you're talking about. So I just wanted to sort of say that up front um, and we'll get into sort of how your readings work and what's behind them and why this figure and that figure and so forth. But um, I really absolutely love the book. I think it's going to have a huge impact. We just need to get eyes on it. It's going to really change the way we read and think about really key figures, both in the African-American intellectual tradition and also uh, African-American political and social history. So thank you for that book. Um, And so I want to start off with, you know, really a general question. I I like to start off with this uh, generally is just how did you come to this project? And that's really an invitation to, to a personal intellectual narrative. You know, what drew you to what's a very unique collection of thinkers in the project? And also what drew you to the frame through which you read them? Because it's not a positivist history. It's not an empirical project. It's theoretical and political and literary all at the same time. So uh, narrate your way for us uh, into the project. You know, it began with me wanting to talk about the interaction between art and big political movements. Um, And I got to say, I don't feel like I found this project. I feel like it kind of found me. I wanted to, when I set out, I thought I was going to tell a story, just basically a very similar story to what we've heard about how these artists were, you know, deeply um, taking inspiration from the socialist parties that they were part of and um, working to sort of further the communist cause. And, and, and you know, I just thought, well, it's going to be basically the same kind of arc, just different setting in the narrative. And the setting would be the cooperatives that we've forgotten about. And the more I looked into it, 
the more I realized that that story about how people like Du Bois, Ella Baker, people I've left out of the book, like Langston Hughes, um, Richard Wright, who I've who who I've written about being part of this cooperative movement elsewhere, you know, those folks, this space did not accommodate the narrative that we've had about art and and politics or art and 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 big progressive political movements and so you know the turning point happened for me when with du bois and how his um and on the one hand you know he has this beautiful line in 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 the in in souls of black black folk about right after he talks about double consciousness where he's talking about the end of this striving is to be the co- is 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 to be be the coworker in the kingdom of culture to be a coworker in the kingdom of culture yeah and you know so so we've thought about du bois in terms of you know what brings about particular ends in like a grand like world revolution kind of way and a lot of people have said the cooperatives were part of that they're part of this world revolution. And what I found was that he, you know, he in this space, looking at his letters, that it not only, you know, when he was talking about cooperatives, when he was establishing cooperatives, it didn't seem like he was interested in the end of the world as we knew it at all. Not only that, but he wasn't interested in ends. And this this was this seemed to be a, a space that was principally about beginning and maintaining um, and maintaining this space as a constant renewal, and that flew in the face of Du Bois, the you know the 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 the, the lodestar of of historical dialectic and Marxist, you know overcoming it it stood and it just flew in the face of all of the ways that we've thought of Du Bois charting these grand historical arcs of progress and I just started there and and what I it, it gripped me in a way where I had to change the way I was writing and so the project was an experience of well if do if if our biggest titan in my mind, at that time, um, of 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 grand historical narratives across the twentieth century, went to cooperatives and thought of this as 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 experimenting with a different kind of organizing, mm-hmm. a different kind of politics. And what about other people who were doing this? And I started seeing that you know this was a space in which they could suspend. The, the the need for a movement to progress. And one of the big questions was, okay, um, for me going into it was, you know, this was around, you know, I was deep into the project when um, in 2014, when, um, you know, when Ferguson happened and, and just the sort of, at the same time that, you know, BLM, was 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 rising. It was also a deeply pessimistic and frightening time to organize. Yeah, it certainly was, yeah. 
And so one of the things that, that pulled me along in this project is the two questions. One, what does it mean to organize, to, 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 to organize in a space and create spaces that you know are never safe? Mm-hmm. And two, what does it mean to organize without the promise of a better tomorrow? Hmm. And so they, you know, these, 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 these thinkers, these artists, as I, as I like to think of them, you know, charted various different ways of doing that kind of mass organizing without the promise of better days to come. And that was a, you know, that was a revolutionary moment for me because it then changed all the sort of categories that I, that I use to think of activism and art. And then, you know, the categories that I, you know, the way I thought of scholarly writing. So it was just a huge, huge transformation in my life. Well, I'm really glad I asked because I think that, you know, for anyone listening who's thinking about the book or starting to read it, it's a really great way. I mean, you've just articulated so well the sensibility of the book. And I think it comes out in the writing, you know, that sense of, of and analysis, that sense of shift of how we understand and think about these particular figures, some of whom are, you know, you know, canonical cornerstones and others who are, are you know, understudied and, and this book takes big steps towards correcting that. And I want to ask about that in, in a moment, but maybe just if you could walk me through the title a little bit. I really love the title, Dreaming the Present. Um, but I was struck really by so much by the subtitle, Time, Aesthetics, and the Black Cooperative Movement. Mm-hmm. And part of what intrigued me about that subtitle, Time, Aesthetics, and the Black Cooperative Movement, was the way it blends together things that we often keep separate, right? Both in terms of the fields that study, you know, time and aesthetics coming from philosophy, cultural studies, literary theory, and the Black Cooperative Movement, which is you know, something we would associate with sort of social history and its methodologies. But that the, but the subtitle and the content of the book, of course, pushes those together, right? And refuses to say, well, if you want to talk about, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer or Ella Baker, you're doing social history or, or African-American politics as an historical project. You want to talk about Du Bois and Schuyler, you're going to talk about them as, as philosophers and literary figures and satirists, or, you know, however one do- goes about that. But you really don't do that at all in the book, right? you push together and refuse these kinds of categorizations. So I also wanted you to walk a little bit through that title. I think, interestingly, uh, in your narrative uh, into the project just now, you really talked about that dreaming the present, right? That sense of, of, you know, what does activism promise? And what does it mean to think about the promise of activism being in the present rather than the future or bringing mm-hmm. from the past to an end? Um, but in terms of the subtitle, especially Time Aesthetics and the Black Cooperative Movement, I'm just curious to hear you talk about how the trajectory of the book and how you work as an intellectual and as a writer, how you feel like you were able to successfully sort of break those boundaries between philosophy and cultural theory and social history and politics. Really just walking through that subtitle. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wrote. I tried to write to the people rather than the disciplines. And 
but by what I mean, and, and I did that, you know, I look at the book now and I can see how, you know, I, I did that with varying degrees of success, but you know, I was, you know, th these folks were, they didn't, they didn't have any disciplinary boundaries in their reading. And of mm -hmm. course we know that with Du Bois, but we know that less with, with Fannie Lou Hamer. We know that, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer had I mean, the sort of techno, the, the sort of technical knowledge that she had to have of cooperatives, of organization, of, of a mass organization, like she was, like she, 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 like she, like she founded with her Freedom Farm Cooperative, the sort of technical knowledge that she learned and, 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 and who someone like Ella Baker was reading, you know, not just Marx and these big political theories, theorists, but she was also reading economists, huh. you know, mm -hmm. and of course she was, you know, and, 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 and so really just trying to keep up with their thinking was where, you know, I said, okay, I mean, that I just tried to pull from as much, you know, discourses as I could simply to keep up with, with their own philosophies and their practices. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, so, um, There's another part to that. I realized that the, the way that these activists, activists, you know, typically understood like, you know, Hamer and Baker are considered activists, not considered artists. And the way that they have been separated from artists like George Schuyler and Du Bois have been very similar across disciplines. So across, you know, sociological, sociology, sociological studies, rhetoric has taken up Hamer and, and, and Baker for their, you know, speeches, but mm. they've treated them very similarly. And th so there was a kind of through thread through this that needed to be, you know, needed, need, that needed to be threaded out for me. Yeah. And that, and that I describe as, you know, they be beginning at the end of what they were up to, beginning with what they created rather than the process of their creation. And so I was trying to get at the beginning points. Um, and, and to do that, I needed a lot of the, I needed a lot of the, 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 the terms and, and the thinking about, you know, what a cooperative is and what, you know, the, 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 the microeconomic studies of, 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 of cooperative, um, establishments and firms and all that. Mm -hmm. But on a whole, I kind of felt like there was a shift that needed to be called it toward activism and art and a shift of thinking in, in E.P. Thompson's, you know, term who, who E.P. E. Thompson's words, um, you know, how do you account for activists who are present at their own making? How do you account for a movement that's present at its own making? And that, that was a huge, um, a huge directive for me in sort of shifting the, the a methodology that I think as different as literary studies is from the approach of social sciences, um, shifting that, that approach to beginning at the beginning points mm -hmm. and trying to chart, you know, 
the process of it unfolding rather than the process of what it produced. So, I, I mean, I, I really love that way you put it as, as trying to keep up with the people you're studying. Yeah. You're writing to and thinking, you know, in pursuit of these figures. Yeah. And I, I, I really love that. I mean, I, I think we could all, uh, you know, benefit from a good dose of that in our scholarship, right? It's, it's a sense of humility in terms of, you know, who and what the, what the person was, but I think it's especially, you know, urgent and you've already said this, so it's a little bit of repetition, but if you're talking about, you know, Hamer and Baker and the way they get taken up, I mean, rhetoric in terms of speeches perhaps, but really in terms of social and political history, what's lost is a sense of them as, just to put it in kind of boring terms, sense of them as intellectuals. Absolutely. And that's, you know, when I read the, the book, I was like, you know, this is how we need to be talking about Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker. They need to yeah. be talked about. They can be talked about lots of ways, but yeah. they need to be taken very seriously as thinkers. And I, I think in that way, this book, it doesn't necessarily upend things, but it fundamentally changes the way at least those two figures are understood. I think in terms of Schuyler and Du Bois, you unlock dimensions, especially with Du Bois, um, who's been so you know, widely written about, you, you are able to unlock a different dimension of him. But I think even with Schuyler, the seriousness with which uh, you take him as a seriousness, you take him uh, as a thinker, right? has a similar effect, but as a literary figure, I think it's a little, that's a little bit more habitual, but Baker and Hamer emerged so different out of this project. And I just really love that. I think it's changes everything actually. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I just, one of the, I just couldn't believe how consistent Fanlin Hamer was discussed as somebody who just spoke from her heart, her instinct, someone who yep. tells it like it is, exposing the truth, as if there was no craft, as if there was no art, as if there was no imagination and deep thinking in what she was up to. And, you know, so, you know, um, we've, we've focused on these, uh, on these folks as, as people like Hamer for what they did and never have, have still to take seriously enough what they said and how they said it, you know, let alone how they did it. Um, and so I, 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 I tried really hard to think of, you know, to, to just remember how much imagination went in to things that looked slapdash, spontaneous, or, or simply pragmatic. In a weird way, the success of a charismatic person can conceal that. You know, Absolutely. as well as often, I mean, it reminds me in a sort mm -hmm. of an analogy or a parallel case. I remember seeing an interview, a sort of, I think it was a television interview on a talk show with Miles Davis and the interviewer being shocked to learn that he practices improvisation. And I remember Miles Davis just, I mean, you know, Miles Davis was an asshole. And so he goes into full <laughs> asshole mode, but he's like, who do you think I am? Yeah. Like I practice all the time. Yeah. You know, nonstop. I'm, that's yeah. all I do. Oh, and so this idea point. that, you know, that we would miss the, the craft, as you put it, I like that. I was my the word I was thinking is study. But you're mm -hmm. right. It's craft. It's craft, study, thinking, that contemplative part. And, you know, and so this this 
this image that you had of sort of running after the thinkers mm-hmm. uh, at the figures, trying to keep up with them and try to get your writing to catch up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. And it's for me, a really important part of the hermeneutic process, right? That mm-hmm. the sort of basics of hermeneutics are that the text says something, right? And so part of reading a text is, is, is the craft of listening, right? The way you put it is, is, is running in pursuit of uh, trying to catch up or keep up with them. But there's also what we bring to the text, mm-hmm. right? That we as readers not only mm-hmm. try to keep up with the text, but we also select a path that we want to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wanted to hear a little bit about your own, you know, the sort of way more conventionally we would put it is, you know, what your framing of your readings Um just to run with uh, Baker and Hamer, but also Du Bois and Schuyler. I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that and what you think your framing is able to draw out of the, the figures that we wouldn't otherwise see. Because I always think of readings and framings and, and hermeneutic engagement as like putting a, a stain on a piece of wood that draws out its grain. That grain mm. was always there, mm. but it was not visible without the stain. You know, so that that application, that 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 art form of 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 staining a piece of wood draws out the the grain, just mm-hmm. like you as a reader are able to draw things out of Hamer and Baker, Schuyler mm-hmm. and Du Bois that we wouldn't otherwise see, were you not framing your encounter with them as figures, their writings, and their histories. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I mean, what, and, what and, is that treatment that you use in the book? And, How would I mean, you the describe framing, it? I mean, just being, a, you know, thinking of them first as artists and artists in the Baldwinian sense of creative living. Yeah. Thinking like of them beginning with that, th- then said, so what do you do? Then the question was, what do you do with thinking of them as um, in a kind of um, logical sense where... Mm-hmm. Right. Where where the you know, where you where you think, okay this this makes intuitive sense, what they're up to and how they're if if you're thinking of them as artists, you've got to then suspend. What you would imagine as logical or or intuitive. And so the the so my my frame was, you know, the archive has been approached as um as in a in a in a in, in an intuitive manner and 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 i and and so for both the archive and 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 of course they are the archive you know what would it mean to think of their active at what they're up to counterintuitively and and also just just you know as 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 what doesn't seem to make any sense so for example you, you we would think of course that um, someone like Baker a cha- is a champion of egalitarianism, but it might not make sense to think of her as someone who considers it part of her practice to unsettle her very own practice, to dismantle what she's actually yeah. building as she builds it. And so, you know, my 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 concept of of planned failure. Is basically also a con- is, is is basically kind of a a, a, a picture of a, a, I think a, 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 probably the neatest picture of the frame that I give to 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 the counterintuitive um, and approach that I give to all the all the writers all the mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. all the artists um, 
we've thought of movements. That's the other thing too, is that movements, leftist movements have had a sad story in, 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 in social history. Yeah. You know, they, they, they That's failed for to sure. meet, they failed to meet. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and it, and it is then the consequence of that is the sort of Afro pessimism that we see today. And, um, the consequence of that narrative. And um, so we've thought of them as, as, as failed, as failed plans. And so one of the ways of trying to unsettle that is to think of them, think of, well, particularly Baker and Schuyler together in terms of planned failure and sort of that's that, that to me is a, is a, is, is the sort of counterintuitive approach that, is required if you seriously consider them as imaginative craftsmen who aren't working in the realm of pragmatic logic, who are working in the realm of imagination and something that to me can only be compared to dreams. Mm. I really like that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as you, as you put it, that, Baldwin's sense of of artist Mm. that in itself you know when I you know my question you know the the question I put in terms of the sort of hermeneutic hermeneutics of reading you know what do you bring in terms of a frame and just even just that frame alone of Ella Baker as artist it absolutely transforms the appearance of Ella Baker and I really like just to also just underscore what you said, you know, you mentioned the word archive, and this is one of my sort of obsessions is, you know, the empirical sense of archive as like somebody's papers at a university somewhere. And you sit in the library with your grant money, right? That's great. It's fantastic. Love that. But, you know, what you articulated is the life of organizing that narrative and that life story is an archival document, but it's an interesting archival document because it doesn't exist in this reproducible form. It's an archival project that emerges out of your handling of Ella Baker's story. And so for me, that's really interesting. The way this book changes the way Ella, Ella Baker's archive, Fannie Lou Hamer's archive appears to us. Precisely because of this, I, this framing of them as artists, and the way then their life becomes a series of, of creations for us to contemplate, work with, and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. so I just the mention of that word archive is is really the for me really fascinating. No, oh, yeah, and to remember that they were archiving their own practice too. Um, yeah, yeah. They were serious people, and that's you know. I mean, I think that's that's a sort of uh, uh, boring thing to say, but I think taking them seriously as serious people is something that yeah. your book does really uniquely. Yeah. Yeah. What drew what drew you to these four? I mean, I, I think, for yeah. example, you want to write a th- write a, a book about you know time and aesthetics and and black social history and and politics in the U.S. Du Bois obviously pops up. Skyler's a little bit of a quirkier figure, you know, um, I, I think criminally understudied. Um, mm-hmm. Sage of Sugar Hill, one of my dear friends, late Jeff Ferguson, uh, wrote a great book on Skyler. But, um, and then Baker and Hamer, you know, that's the, the combination of figures is, is, makes the book unique in every book. I think, you know, that's what you want. You want to take up something different. But 
what drew you to these particular four figures? You've talked about it a little bit, but maybe just, you know, what is it about them that drew yeah. you other than they were not, they were criminally understudied or hadn't yeah, been yeah, put yeah. in conversation. Sure, sure, sure. Right? You know, I mean, the, the first thing was that these were folks that stood out in my mind because of how deeply involved they were in establishing cooperatives. Mm-hmm. And the second thing was just how much pleasure it, it, it was to read their work and to, you know, to read Baker's essays and, 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 and so I also, the historical stretch was, 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 was lovely for me too. you know, to begin right at the end of the 1890, to begin at the end, end of the 1890s and end in the, in the 1970s was a nice um, historical stretch um, that I felt like they could carry. Um, but there's people I could have I could have talked about the Black Panther Party, pe- members of the Black Panther Party and the Breakfast Club. Um, um, I could have talked the Breakfast Program. I could have talked about Marcus Garvey and Amy Garvey, and um, so it, it it also just became how much time do I have to seriously yeah. study and churn out um, uh, co- concepts of 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 activism. Uh, you know, because every chapter took about, you know, two years. So <laughs> the way these books, you know, they show up and they're, you know, 190 or whatever pages. And it just does yeah. not look like those years. <laughs> it doesn't look like the exactly. Oh, <laughs> so. But I mean, I have to say, I think that's a real strength of the book. And this says as much about me as anything else. But um, I like the the focus of the book because it would have been so easy you know once you talk about cooperatives to talk as you say i mean about garvey about you know stokely carmichael's organizing work about the black panther party you know it is that's so expansive but this collection of 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 thinkers is it's a unique selection and it also allows you to give real uh, integrity to your readings there's no glossing over anything in this which is um it's hard to do when you talk about a big idea, big ideas like time aesthetics and cooperative, yeah. but the, the anchoring of that analysis and figures is, is I think really what, what makes the book special rather yeah. than interesting and intriguing, which are broad, you know, these broad stories are also completely fascinating, but. Completely uh, fascinating. And it, you know, it's helpful, the size of the archive that Baker has left behind. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's helpful that to ha- the voluminous, size of 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 Hamer's archive in various different places you know so um yeah for 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 a first book this was something i felt like i could i could manage with 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 these four <laughs> finding things you can manage it's uh yeah of a it's not a, a conversation with me but i have a book i'm trying to get started on that that da- the danger is that uh you know, it's an uncontrollable series of curiosities. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me ask you. Now about you have this. the freedom. You know, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, it's just you know, will it drive me to just you know, uh, you know, go ride my bike around rather than write because it's too big, or yeah. you know, find something really great to say? Um, well, let me ask you about a phrase. Um, 
like I said, I mean, I think the book's really well written. It doesn't read for what it's worth, uh, like a first book at all. It just, you know, the writerly voice and that's, that's part of the, the mm-hmm. depth and, and detail you get in each of these readings. Um, you know, I think the content is fantastic and there's the writing itself is, is mm-hmm. really quite brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I loved this phrase that I'm going to read. And I just want to ask, you know, what's going on in this phrase and how do you think it captures something about the book? And this is the the quotation. I don't have the page number here, actually, but you write, A people in peril bejeweled the ruins trying to ruin them. A people in peril bejeweled the ruins trying to ruin them. Mm. It bejeweled ruins and ruination and a people. Mm. It's an amazing part of a sentence. So, Mm. Yeah, you know... um... I was I was reading uh, Toni Morrison's Sources of Self-Regard at the end of the book, and Morrison um, was is reflecting on um, was reflecting in that um, on her grandma and saying that a great grandmother, and she was saying she what the single greatest fascination for her throughout her career and will continue to be is why the circumstances of her grandmother, great-grandmother's life were so inferior to the quality of that life. And why over and over again, a people made that were treated like beasts, treated like cargo, never ended up as beasts or cargo. And in fact, took those um, sources and, and, and mechanisms of oppression and did something, um, uh, she calls it civilizing <laughs> to them, mm-hmm. and I call it um, beautifying or beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's, and I thought this was basically the essence of this, of this, of, of this book, um, that there was a wholesale redefinition of a system of values that was happening over and over again in such a way of system of values in such a way that um the oppression didn't touch their lives in the way that we've thought it in the way that we've 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 said it's touched Mm -hmm. their lives and 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 so you you have this transvaluation going through the entire book but you also have this conjunction between what you know Brett Edwards beautifully calls it catastrophe and chance. Um yeah. and 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 you know um and and that kind of that mess, the mess of that entanglement is is what I thought was both charging, what both made this both made this work so alive and also so revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there is a kind of, there is a kind of beautification of something that would otherwise be seen as completely vile. Yeah. And, um, and that beautification is, is this redefinition of, of, of what we value, what we want to keep and what in the, in the, in our oppressor's eyes, we don't want, you know? Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, from, from, you know, so, so, so 
and it and it and it and it got me to i think one of the biggest takeaways for me of the book was um it's 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 equal it's it's equally important to discuss the way that the systems of terror have ended these forms of activisms and and all of that mm-hmm. as it is to talk about the things that they built, the things that they created mm-hmm. um, in the very meeting points of themselves and those, you know, and those systems and those, those, those forms of oppression. Um, because it, it, it suggested to me that we don't have to wait to, to, we don't have to wait for something that we have what we need to have what we want. Yeah. And that, 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 that was a huge, that was, that was a huge, um, and sort of empowering lesson that I, I felt like I got at the end of writing it. Yeah. I think in that way, you know, you're able as a reader of these figures, because as I was you know saying before, you know, you know, the, the dynamic of reading is such that, you know, we bring something to the material, the material brings something to us. But I think there's a sort of Baldwin-like touch there, or as you were saying, Morrison as well, a touch to that ability to say, you know, it's not a choice between, you know, abjection and liberation. There's life that happens in between these. And it's life that is about, creation and it's mm-hmm. also life that's about articulation of of want and desire i mean when you were mm-hmm. just talking i was thinking about what baldwin mm-hmm. says in the the long essay portion of the fire next time when he says you know we don't want to be integrated in speaking as african-american right we don't want to be integrated into a burning house mm-hmm. and so what does it mean to say we don't want to be in your house but we also don't want to be this yeah. But this, you know, Baldwin has such a such a complex mm. sense of, you know, what he called for his period, what he called the ghetto, right? Mm. Absolutely abjection, hustlers, predatory ministers, all of those things. But at the same time, it's full of life and literature and art and, mm. and beauty. I, I like that, you know, beauty and bejeweled are the terms you come back to because I think those give a just rhetorically – a, a sense of elevated substance mm-hmm. that's really important. And it also values what might be at times ephemeral, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than the ephemeral moments of, of bejeweling the ruins that want to ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of that being a sort of pathetic sort of Don Quixote kind of moment, instead this is like <laughs> something really important is happening here. Yeah. And that yeah. absolutely animates the book. And that, mm-hmm. that I really like the way you talked about it there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. And it brings me to this other question, and, and you've, I think you've gotten into it, uh, but so it's really more of a shift in vocabulary. You know, in, in African-American thought or even sort of diasporic thought more broadly, you know, you mentioned pessimism and Afro-pessimism and Ferguson mm-hmm. early, earlier in our conversation. But we have, you know, I think one of the things that Afro-pessimism, whatever one thinks about particular figures and their articulations of this sort of wandering school of thought. One of the things it has drawn out for me under the term Afro-pessimism is this animating kind of dyad 
in the the African American tradition for sure, but also I, I think uh, in the Caribbean tradition as well, of 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 nihilism and hope, right? And that these things tend to be sort of as you know, you know, you know, Ralph Ralph Ellison and James Baldwin on the side of hope, and you know, Richard Wright on the side of of pessimism, yeah. right? Um, and it's I think a really interesting yeah. like structure to to interpret. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how you see your book fitting into that. I mean, you've spoken to yeah, it in some yeah, ways yeah. that are kind of like it it upsets that dyad. And so I wanted to mention this yeah, because I sure. think it's a way of situating your book in the African-American intellectual tradition broadly as a way of saying like a, a way of seeing how you take on that dualism or dyad or binary in really yeah. important ways. Yeah. I mean, what's astounded me um, is... I, I, I totally agree with that. And what has astounded me is that we have completely let me not let me not be, you know, totally dramatic here, but the the category of the present has just been just been, you know, grossly underthought. Hmm. And what and what has been thought in place of that is either, you know, a melancholic idea of the past as the present. So the, so, you know, the present doesn't even exist because the past is all there is. Yeah. And that would be that nihilistic side Mm -hmm. or the present only exists to the extent that it can take us to alternative futures. And so basically the past doesn't present doesn't exist because the future is all we want to talk about. And so this category of the present as something that, yeah, it is incredible. That's, that's the, that's the, 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 that was the the greatest um, intellectual challenge to talk about something that seems like you you know is is seems so fleeting and 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 all that. But but this category of the present has been lost, and and it's lost ironically at our very turn away from pessimism to what a lot of folks call prefiguration. Basically, you know, performing now what you want to have last later, you know. Yeah what you want to sustain later. It might not last, but like, let's just put it into practice and see what happens. At least we are, you know, prefiguring it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even at that moment, the present is only valuable to, in its deference to what might come. And I needed to think about the present, not in just simply terms of, you know, a second that's gone, or the the thing that's simply you know the the, the in, in the in the Benjaminian sense the 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 moment that is lost as soon as you see it, but different ways of 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 you know different ways of charting the present across space. So mm-hmm. so so a simultaneity, for example, in 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 Hamer, where you know like she is actually describes herself as someone who is existing in two spaces at once. Well, what does that do to her sense of time? If she's yeah. saying that I'm in mess, I'm in Missis, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin right now. And I also am in Mississippi, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and people just sort of overlook that as well, you know, to sort of explain that away. And it's like, no, there is something incredibly illogical and also something incredibly powerful that she's doing to think about how she's imagining temporality and how she's imagining rethinking the present. And so, I mean, 
my my yeah my principal my principal contribution is certainly um the 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 way i'm trying to flesh out new ways of 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 thinking of the present which is why that subtitle begins with time and i think that example of of in wisconsin in mississippi taking that seriously as an existential statement that needs a theoretical treatment rather than a rhetorical flourish of saying i'm really from mississippi you know i mean you can see how how that gets spun but taking it seriously again it goes to this you know activists how seriously do we take activists as intellectuals and that's that's a great example of it but i you know i love that i mean it really for me what you're talking about with the present, obviously dreaming the present is the title and it really, that dreaming part of the present, the way you were talking about it, it's a way of retrieving the present as, from it being simply a way station of the past or the future, but instead it's yeah. full of, it's, it's, it has a dreamlike character. It's, it's fattened yeah. up, it's expanded, it's, it's yeah. wandering. It's, yeah. it's untamable in some ways. It's yeah. highly articulated. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when you, in the book, you talk, you know, obviously it's a, it's a book about, about African-American, uh, you know, artists, activists, thinkers, but in, in the intellectual tradition. And so you draw so much on the, the African-American intellectual tradition, both in the primary figures, but also in the sort of apparatus around it. But, you know, you also draw on European theorists, Caribbean theorists here and there, Latin American theorists. And so I'm mm-hmm. curious how you make sense of your array of sources. I mean, a sort of straightforward answer is, well, these are people I've read and they inform how I think. And so I'm just being sort of bibliographically yeah. <laughs> responsible. Yeah. But I also wonder if there's something instructive about those theorists mm-hmm. that your story, which is a story about, you know, uh, um, what is it, 80 year, 80 something mm-hmm. year expanse in the United States, maybe the fact that these other thinkers can can so easily buttress your analysis suggests that there's a wider story to be told about the Americas. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think what's interesting is how um, in terms of the civil rights movement and in terms of black activists, there, there seems to be like a triple domestication going on that I think I'm trying to undo with, 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 with the help of these more, um, these these non-local you know theorists and you know there's there's you know take a person like Hamer she's domesticated in terms of um you know speaking for the south um and she's domesticated in terms of um uh uh speaking for uh for 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 blacks in in inside of the this this country and also um her relationship inside of the home space and who she was inside of the home space and and also domesticated in terms of an intellectual tradition and i think that you know what's interesting is you take hamer in 1964 she went to new guinea she went to guinea in 1964 um and it was in a meeting that she had with uh, with with members of the minister of commerce in in Guinea, with her and the um, other eleven folks from Student Nonviolent Coordinating, um, from SNCC, um, in which they talked about which these 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 the, the, which she heard about the importance of cooperatives to Guinea, 
And she came back and she said, and you know, Harry, Harry Belafonte put this, put this trip together for these, for these SNCC folks. And, um, and uh, he said that there was no one he thought that was more transformed from this, from this, you know, the almost a month long um, uh, interaction with, with Torre, with the president of Guinea and all these other, you know, folks in the, in the, in the newly independent, you know, cabinet, um, who was more transformed in this trip than Hamer. And so she comes back and she's no longer thinking about simply, you know, the local and, and, and talking about, she, she asserts that she's, she's in, in 1971, she, she gives this speech where she's asserting that she's not simply concerned with black folks. She's concerned with the freedom of Mexicans, of, of, of Latin Americans, of indigenous folks. And she says her most, one of her most famous lines, um, um, I'm not free till everyone is free. And this everyone is consistently taken as a sort of black domestic space. Yeah. And, 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 and just forgotten what's forgotten is the, the, the previous, you know, solidarities that she's charting with, you know, the broader diaspora. And so I feel like, you know, when you, you think about uh, these movements in relationship to, you know, the autonomous, like, you know, think about um, uh, the, the autonomous movements in Argentina and Spain and, 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 and how there is a larger response to a global order of colonization that's at play yeah. that requires us to transgress our own disciplinary lines and, and, and lines of, of political discourse um, um, in ways that they, they, you know, these folks were already doing. And that, that expansion of local movements in that international context, it's a, it's, it is a, it's interesting to me how quickly that does get lost in, I don't want to just say scholarship, but in our sensibility about the time. I mean, these, this was, you know, I think about, you know, it's not a, focus of your book, but the way we can talk about King and the, the war in Vietnam and his relationship to that, which is absolutely true. But that's even that tends to get cast as, you know, American imperialism and critique of it. But the Vietnamese were fighting an independence war. And so it was also about their anti-colonial war that preceded mm -hmm. the U.S. intervention and that sensibility. Mm -hmm. You know, the Black Panthers, I think there's there's a wider sense. And of course, Stokely Carmichael moving to Guinea, change his name Kwame Toure that's a sort of mythical yeah. you know mm -hmm. or Cleaver moving to Algeria or all, so many of the Panthers moving to Algeria but I really mm -hmm. like that you know that reminder mm -hmm. which is such a transformative reminder that these figures we so deeply identify with the mm -hmm. local were themselves expansive and international you know mm -hmm. and in some ways it it, it 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 rings a little bit of a sort of reinvention of what Gilroy did in the Black Atlantic, which was to remind everybody that these African-American thinkers were were rooted around the Atlantic world and this this awakening of this, just a reminder, really, of, of these histories, you know, in yeah. being in Guinea and being transformed by their work of reinventing the state in a post-colonial context yeah. that, that and, embeds figures in a whole other set of thoughts, as you're saying. 
Absolutely. I mean, and, and now with, you know, the, the approach of, of Black History Month, it's it's important to remember that category of black yes. <laughs> extending far beyond <laughs> African-Americans. Yeah. And then and so, you know. So what do you want? Uh, imagine uh, readers, which you will have readers. Uh, that's both uh, amazing and terrifying. If you're like me, <laughs> I always, yeah. always say, you know, my greatest nightmare is that no one will read my book, but also the greatest nightmare is that someone <laughs> will read my book. But people <laughs> will read the book and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> anxiety about people reading what you wrote aside. Maybe you don't have it. Um, yeah. But what do you what do you want? The, the, the walk away, not the takeaway, but the walk away for readers. And I say that because like the takeaway is now I have some ideas and I move on. The walk away is like, this is something I carry with me. What do you want readers to carry away? Like ideally? Mm. I mean, I think the first thing is I want them to feel the desire and the joy of committing or recommitting themselves to the mystery of activism. And that, you know, requires also that goes back to um, thinking of activists and, and activism itself as a wellspring of imagination. Um, and so that, that recommitment to the mystery for forgetting our categories or suspending them mm -hmm is is probably and and i'm and and is 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 what i tried to do sentence to sentence myself and you know what what terrifies me i guess is 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 how well you know readers think i either did or did not pull that off but <laughs> that's, but I, yeah, that's the mystery of that's of, a... <laughs> of, 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 re, of sending something off to be read yeah yeah exactly but um but yeah i think i think I think maintaining maintaining it as a mystery um, is 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 my hope um, that you know you know that 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 readers walk away from you know um, this with and 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 also you know it's we just just the sort of um, the lesson of of cooperatives itself uh, of 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 gathering folks together gathering the resources together in a single space. And and the resources that 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 one has currently, as you know, enabling the things that they that they want, it you know the lesson f I, I hope that that readers walk away from is that we do have, at least if we take these um, these folks seriously, they seem to be saying we have what we need to have what we want, and. And that that sort of changes the way um, we interact with the state in terms of our in terms of in terms of our organizing um, and our mobilizing. I love that. How about you? Where does the book lead you? And I mean that partly, you know, how were you changed by the book, but also um, where does it lead you to next projects and i'm i promise i'm not doing this thing of like what's your next book which you know you have a right to exhale after your first but maybe you <laughs> want to talk about sort of ongoing projects no. but i really mean you know yeah. you know on the one hand readers walk out of a book but so do authors and so i wonder mm -hmm. what you carry with you walking out and what direction it leads you yeah i um i'm i'm very much interested in other alternative 
communities that uh, that I did not get to that I yeah you know, just didn't even have on my radar at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm I'm interested in right now. I'm thinking a lot about move, and 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 they it's just some of these yeah. some of these alternative communities like move in Philadelphia which you know move is not an acronym it was a statement uh, mm-hmm. that you know all yeah. life we are all life and all life moves so we must move constantly um you know um you know it's the same sort of re um assessment of of these alternative communities seems to be in order i mean in the sense that move as this you know challenge to how we think you know these these folks who um we're thinking of eco justice and animal rights and extending what we f- understand ourselves as humans to be and all the things that they were practicing this belief system that they were practicing is totally overwhelmed by the state terror that the yeah. 1985 when you know the city of Philadelphia dropped a bomb on 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 their headquarters killed six adults five children and 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 also decimated uh, 60 something homes in that mm-hmm. black neighborhood let you know the 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 the, the mayor saying or the the, the 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 police chief saying that they uh that the that the fire department was not to attend to the burning and let those houses burn and and so that huge story just overwhelms what they did what they built you know mm-hmm. and and so we, we we spend so much time thinking about the burning and i want to go back to thinking about the building and so that that's essentially you know that's 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 where i'm beginning right now and i'm and i'm hoping to sort of stretch that study across various alternative communities in um the space of creative nonfiction. so different genre switch and and also you know sort of an extension of what I'm up to, the kind of folks I'm looking uh-huh. at now. Fantastic. Well, I know uh, I speak for a lot of people when I say I look forward to where all of this takes you because that idea of dreaming the present and remembering uh, life before the burning is just mm-hmm. so crucial to not just new horizons of scholarship, but to the dignity and integrity of how Black people have lived. And I think this book, Dreaming the Present, really gets so deeply into that that i think we as readers will carry that sensibility with us and i really look forward to how that carries with you so thank you so much i really appreciate you making the time uh to talk about this great book um thank you for it and i look forward to talking about your next book thanks absolutely all right take care